I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. And you're listening to Spirited Spirits. discussing several haunted locations in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, and I wanted to specifically focus on sites that have a connection to the witch trials, since we talked about the history of the witch trials in our previous episode. But before we get, begin, let's tell folks what we're drinking tonight. Yeah, we're drinking another version of the witch's brew cocktail. This one has vodka instead of bourbon. Yeah, I'm finding these online, by the way. I think it was like cocktails.com right. or something. It has one ounce of blue cacao, one half ounce grenadine, two ounces vodka, one ounce pineapple juice, and a dash of edible glitter. Shake all ingredients together in a shaker with ice and then strain into a martini or coke glass. And we, of course, you would want to like double it in order for it to be two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of depends. Also, like, I, I guess our coupe glasses are larger than normal. Because <laughs> maybe. Every time I like see these cocktails, I'm like, hmm. They must, must have a much smaller, like, martini or coupe glass because I feel like we have to add a little bit more. So the, the drink is very sweet. Um, yes, it is. Especially coming off the last one that we did that was, yeah. like, bourbon and the pomegranate. The pomegranate had that, like, nice tartness. This one is definitely, like, for sweet cocktail people. If you if you are a fan of the blue sweet tarts, <laughs> you're you not. Will, it's not that tart, though. That. I think it tastes like a blue sweet tart. I mean, I get it. I see why you say that. Um, so, yeah, the blue Caraco really is like the main coloring, which I was trying to make it more purple. Um, so I added a little bit more grenadine, but then I don't even think that made a difference. And then the also the pineapple juice is just so strong. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Every time we have a pineapple drink, I'm like, I feel like it should be summer. Right. Like it should be a, this is like a, a it's like rum 40, it's like 40 degrees that I should be, yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. It's fine. We worked with some stuff that we had and I wanted to try this out. It looked good online. Hers was much prettier than what mine has turned out to be. I even put edible glitter, but I don't feel like you can see it because of the darkness of the blue. I can see it a little bit. A little? Yeah. It's like silver. It's supposed to be silver. It's okay. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Not every cocktail that we make, guys, is going to be like, oh. Oh. oh my god, that scared the crap out of me. That's a nice little Halloween scare. If you want to know what happened, our cocktail shaker's <laughs> top just popped off like a fucking ghost did it. Well, that's all the pressure <laughs> built out. the shit out of me. I feel like that's happened before, It too. happened at our Halloween party, and we thought it was a new Oh, party. shit, yes, yes, okay. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. Um, Okay. Now, let's all breathe. Let's take a deep breath. <laughs> okay. First on our list of haunted locations in Salem is the Burying Point Cemetery. And I've actually been there. 
if you follow us on Instagram, you may have seen my post about my spring break trip to Salem and college. I posted several images of tombstones and the sign in front of the cemetery, which is like, it actually, I think it says the old burying point. If you haven't seen my post, go check it out while you're listening to this. Considered the oldest European burial site in Salem and one of the oldest in the United States, the Old Burying Point Cemetery, also known as Charter Street Cemetery, was established prior to 1637 when it was first referenced in town documents. Judge John Hathorne, whose name you should recognize from our last episode, was buried here after he passed away at the age of 76 in 1717. His ghost is said to roam the grounds. Also buried here is Nathaniel Mather, son of Increase Mather and brother to Cotton. He was only 19 years old when he passed away, four years before the witch trials even began. So this is, you remember Cotton Mather and then his dad Increase Mather. Mm -hmm. He was like the pastor and he had written that book that I I mentioned at the end of the episode. Okay. So he had a younger brother who passed away at 19. I don't know why. I'm assuming it was like some type of illness. I don't know for sure. Locals also believe that many of those hanged during the witch trials were dumped around the cemetery in mass graves. The cemetery now features a memorial site for those accused and executed during the trials. The memorial is laid out in an oval shape with stones etched with the names and dates of the victims, as well as how they died, whether they hanged or Giles Corey's case, he was pressed to death. Right. I posted a couple of those photos. You can actually see the stones there on the Instagram post that I mentioned before. Could the restless souls of those executed during the witch trials still be haunting the cemetery and the surrounding homes and businesses? Probably. (laughs) Paranormal investigators have captured electronic voice phenomena, or EVPs, and photos of shadowy figures, light anomalies, orbs, mists, and even apparitions while visiting the cemetery. One apparition people claim to see is that of Mary Corey. She's the second wife of Giles Corey. Again, you should recognize his name. Like I mentioned, he was pressed to death after being accused of being a witch and refusing to stand trial. Remember, he refused to speak. His third wife, Martha, so he'd been married three times. Yeah. His first wife actually died in England. The second wife, Mary, died here in Salem with him, and then he remarried for a third time to Martha. She was accused of witchcraft and hanged. But Mary, his second wife, died eight years before the witch trials even began. Um, so she's often seen near her grave, her grave site, which is located toward the back of the cemetery on the left-hand side. Okay. People have also seen the ghost of a woman in a powder blue dress near the back corner of the cemetery. She appears to have a picnic basket in her hand and is sometimes accompanied by a young child. There is also the apparition known as the Lady in White, which has been spotted in the parking lot and nearby businesses. But she's also been seen at Proctor's Ledge, the speculated site of the hangings. Legend says the witches were hanged at Gallows Hill. That's what I actually said in the last episode. But when doing research for this episode, I found out that some historians believe that it was actually Proctor's Ledge where the uh, condemned were taken to be hanged, okay. which is located between Proctor and Pope Streets. Um, this apparently was a more public site, a m- more public location. Okay. Um, so people have seen light anomalies and orbs while they're exploring Proctor's Ledge. 
so this was more of a public area? Allegedly, yeah. So Gallows Hill was a little bit more out. Well, that would make sense if, like, they wanted to make a spectacle out of it, like, you know, right. where they were being hanged. Right. And also in the research, it said that when historians were trying to figure this all out, that there's a note in the um, documents that was talking about a crevice, I guess maybe where they dump bodies in the crevice, and they felt like Proctor's Ledge would be a better location with the crevice where they could have done that versus Gallows Hill. Okay. Just some... It's not super important information, but I just found it interesting because, like, legend has always said that it was Gallows Hill. But then recently, it was like as of 2016, historians now believe that it was actually Proctor's Ledge. Okay. And speaking of Gallows Hill, apparently it too is haunted, although it is now the site of a baseball diamond and is surrounded by a children's park. Oh, good idea to put that there. <laughs> yeah. People have claimed to see full-bodied apparitions in the woods and heard screams in the middle of the night. It has also been the site of many suicides, and there's local church members who have been very concerned about demonic activity taking place in and around there. And so they actually held like a spiritual cleansing I saw one year to try and help. Just one year? Well, I think that's what I saw. It was like 100 people gathered to try and like cleanse the area. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if there's just a lot going on right. and they decided to get to, together, but that's what I found. Um, next on our list is the Witch House, also known as the Corwin House. Now, you've probably seen this in pictures. Like is it the old black house? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that one. Yeah. So that one's pretty well known, um, pretty visible. Um, it was also, it's also known as the Corwin House because it was the home that was that Judge Jonathan Corwin owned with his family. And um, they actually owned the property until the mid-1800s, so they were able to keep it in the family for some time. The house is located at 310 Essex Street in the McIntyre Historic District, and it is the only surviving structure with direct ties to the witch trials. Legend says there's a Corwin curse, with eight family members dying prematurely in the home. The witch house is open to the public as a museum, and many visitors have claimed to hear disembodied voices, mainly that of a child, and felt cold spots. People have also reported feeling touched by unseen entities. If you take a tour of the house, you will also see a poppet. Remember in the last episode yes. we talked about the dolls that witches use to like cast spells on their victims, like a right. voodoo doll? Yeah. Um, they have that on display. Um, but there are also objects to ward off witches, such as apparently a black shoe that's inside of a wall. Okay. I don't know what the folklore is about that, but it's supposed to ward off witches. And there's witch bottles that are filled with urine, hair, pins, and fingernails. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see all of that at the museum if you'd like to. And unlike the Corwin House, the Joshua Ward House is not open to the public. But the ghosts inside the mansion are said to be extremely active. Located at 148 Washington Street, the mansion is currently the home of Higginson Book Company and Carlson Realty. Employees have reported seeing candles fly off bookshelves, heard the cries of a ghost child, and even felt like they were being strangled by invisible hands. Even though the house was built in 1784 for Joshua Ward, a wealthy sea merchant, the property's history dates back to the Salem Witch Trials. In 1692, High Sheriff George Corwin owned a building that stood in that same location. Corwin, 
was one of those, what was the one who had actually escorted Rebecca Nurse, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howe, Sarah Good, and Sarah Wilds. Remember that? Yes. He escorted them to their deaths that early July morning in 1692 when they were all hanged. He literally positioned them in their nooses. And it was mm. also Corwin who performed the pressing on Giles Corey. And he actually has this like reputation of kind of like torturing people into you know it seems about right like if you have that reputation then you're gonna enjoy doing that yeah. probably yeah so it comes as no surprise that the spirits of george corwin and giles corey are said to haunt the premises now going back to the strangler spirit i mentioned earlier could this be the ghost of george corwin trying to torture visitors into confessing to their to witchcraft okay one such guest claimed to feel a choking sensation on the second floor he said he felt invisible hands tightening around his throat. He felt the it squeeze like he, it was becoming harder to breathe. And when he turned around, he was alone in the hallway. See, that would be the end. Like, nope, <laughs> nope, I'm not going to. But if that's here. your place of business, like if that's where you work, you right? Can, I mean, you can't go back on out. But I mean, it's kind of hard to like be like up and quit. Other paranormal activity in the house, usually attributed to the vengeful spirit of Giles Corey, include books falling off shelves, cold spots, and candles having melted down without being lit. Allegedly, the melted candles form the shape of an S, although it is not clear what the significance of this letter is. The third ghost said to be haunting the Joshua Ward house is a female spirit who does not like men. Allegedly, this apparition was captured in a photo taken at a holiday party in the 80s. An employee of Carlson Realty took a Polaroid photo of his blonde colleague at the party, but when it was when it processed, you know, the Polaroids, they pop out the pictures. Right. Instead of an image of his colleague, there was an image of a dark-haired woman with pale, translucent skin. Also, male employees and visitors to the house are often scratched on their chests. Could this dark-haired woman be one of the accused witches that George Corwin tortured on this property? So my question is, could it, could it just be like an issue with the, the film? Did it have if, any other... But think about issues? a Polaroid. I know. You're not going to get the same... Like, I think about digital images and how they can be manipulated. This is a Polaroid. What it right. captures, what it takes, I is know. what pops out of that. I just remember... Sometimes a Polaroid picture, if I remember correctly, because it's been a very long time since I used one. Like sometimes, like it would be a negative image. Oh, you think it could have been an inverse? Mm -hmm. You know But what then, saying? wouldn't the skin be? Wouldn't the skin show up as black? I guess because her hair was white. Her it was blonde. It was, it was blonde, so it would be dark. But then, why would her skin show up as pale white and translucent? Right. Because, like, when I think of old photos, um, okay, it's usually dark, isn't it? Yeah. Reverse. I would like to see that old photo. Uh, it's been published in a book, apparently. Okay. I haven't read the book, but we could probably find it online. Next stop on our haunted Salem tour is the Turner Ingersoll Mansion, although you may know it by a different name, the House of Seven Gables. Located at 115 Derby Street, this home inspired Nathaniel Hawthorne to write his 1851 novel, The House of Seven Gables. Of the same name. <laughs> <laughs> he was frequently invited to the home by his cousin Susanna, daughter of Samuel Ingersoll, a sea captain in Salem. 
it was Susanna who told Nathaniel about their family's dark past. As you may recall, it was Hawthorne's great-grandfather, John Hawthorne, who served as a judge during the witch trials. The home has since been converted into a museum, and visitors have reported seeing a man climbing up and down the secret staircase. In the attic, a little boy spirit is seen playing and also heard giggling, laughing, and walking around. Some believe the boy is Nathaniel Hawthorne's son, Julian, but his cousin, Susanna, has also appeared, and she's apparently haunting the mansion by walking up and down the halls and peering out windows, according to some guests. Um, I did want to say I have been there. That was, um, again, on my post on Instagram. Um, I got to visit that. Now, for some reason, I didn't get any pictures of the inside. We only took a picture of the outside. I don't know if it was because they wouldn't allow pictures inside. Okay. Or if I just didn't take any. I can't remember now. I feel like that if you could take pictures inside of a place that I was would haunted, have. you would have taken pictures. Yeah. So you probably weren't allowed to at that point. Or I know there's some location. Yeah. Cause, well, no, yeah, I mean, maybe. But I don't remember that. I just know there were, were some locations where they asked you not to do flash photography. Right. Um, but I remember when we were walking through there, of course, they have it all set up to look like that time period. And I remember there was this huge fireplace because that's where they did all their cooking, right? Yeah. So it was like as tall as I was. And was like, you know, pretty uh, deep inside. Right. And, you could, you know, there was like a cauldron or like a large pot set up, you know, for being, you know, cooking food over the flames. And I thought, gosh, this is so cool. I wish I had something like this. <laughs> of course, I didn't have a house at that point. But I was like, this would be so cool to own a home like this with all this kind of history. Right. But then I think about, oh, all these experiences that people, you know, must have when you own an old home like that. Right. You know, and this one's been converted into a museum, so it's like the employees who, a lot of them who witnessed this stuff. But, yeah, it was really cool. It was a very cool home. But everything's, like, it's funny. It's like the fireplace was so big, but then other things felt really short. Like, I remember the, like, doorways felt a little short. I had to, like, duck or something. Right. So, yeah, it was <laughs> it was a cool home. It was really cool. So lastly, I wanted to mention that the ghost of Bridget Bishop, the first person executed for witchcraft during the Salem Witch Trials, is said to haunt several locations in Salem, mainly because the buildings now occupy the land that had once been her apple orchard. Hawthorne Hotel is one such location. Guests have reported smelling apples, and they've seen a female ghost walking down the halls. Rooms 612 and 325 seem to be the most haunted, Guests report hearing the cries of a baby and lights flicker on and off. Also, faucets will turn on and off by themselves. Turner Seafood, Seafood at Lyceum Hall is also said to be haunted by Bridget. Patrons and employees have reported seeing a woman in a long white dress on the staircase. Perhaps Bridget is the woman seen at other locations where people have claimed to see a woman in white makes me wonder if Bridget is showing herself throughout the, the yeah. community. Yeah, like I mentioned the woman in white back at the cemetery right. uh, and Proctor's Ledge. Can ghosts travel that far? I mean, I don't I know. I mean, the if there's a portal or something. I don't know what the rules of ghosts are. Like, I don't know either. I don't think. I mean, I, don't, I feel like if you're haunting a location, you're haunting a location. But she, if she's haunting the entire town of Salem because of yeah. what happened to her, she was the first executed. That's true. She kind of set the stage for what happened right 
Uh, I don't know. But one thing to note here is that there are so many haunted locations in Salem that are directly... Or, I'm sorry. There are so many haunted locations in Salem. And I could do a whole episode about them. But I chose to really focus on the witch trials because it made sense after the episode that we had previously done, right? On the right. Salem witch trials. Um, but I'll probably do another episode, a future episode, on other haunted locations in Salem and the history of Salem in general. I mean, there's even after the witch trials, I mean, Salem became kind of a seedy wet place. If some of the stuff that I was reading, I mean, mm-hmm. there was like, you know, because it is a seaport, you had like sea captains and pirates and just like in, in Savannah, right? there were locations where people would be drinking at like a pub or whatever. And, um, they would be so drunk and they'd get kidnapped by a sea captain or a pirate and taken onto the ship and like, uh, what's it called? Um, Enslaved, everyone? No, what's it called? Parlayed? I don't know. Oh, I don't know I said it in the Savannah Yeah, I don't episode. remember that. That was so long ago. <laughs> so, but I I'm can't. I'm blanking on what it's called, but it's where they're kidnapped and taken onto the ship and there's a certain term for it. Right. I'll probably think of it after we're done recording, which is really annoying, but it's fine. I could do a whole episode on Haunted Salem and the history and, like, why it is the way it is. I mean, the witch, crowd, the witch trials seem to kind of kick off the energy, the trauma that those people experienced. I think that that set the stage for, like, paranormal activity to become, you know, present um, and all the, it's just, you know, it's an old town anyway. Um, right. Shanghai. Oh, there it is. Okay. Cause I was trying to Google it real quick. Shanghai. Okay. That's what it's called. Pretty sure. Okay. Um, well, I think the thing is like about, uh, Salem and we talked about this before is like, you know, any place that has a very long, terrible history and trauma has like a scar or a stain on it. You know, right? And so, um, I'm wondering again, and I feel like we say that every time we talk about haunted location, or at least I do. But um, I think that's not a causation, but like a correlation. Like I can't, you can't prove that you know mm-hmm. that's what it is. But it's almost like it's that's interesting. It opens a tear. It opens a tear into yeah. the next life. To the afterlife. That's right. It, it's the veil. The veil is open. It's like the thinnest. The thin, just like Halloween. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, yeah, so, we'll close it out. Yeah, so it's uh, Halloween week. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween week, and we hope everyone enjoys one of the best holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you dress up as something spooky or scary or funny, and you're gonna eat a lot of candy. Um, or, or don't, t- maybe. Or don't, or take you got your a tummy ache. To- take your kid out, or you're, you know. Whatever you're going to do. So we hope you have a happy Halloween from yes. us here at Spirit and Spirits. Yes. Um, again, thank you for joining us as we talk about spirits while we sip, sip on, on some spirits. spirits. Bye. Bye.